A big thanks to Zendesk for sponsoring today's episode of Does Not Compute. For anybody who doesn't know, Zendesk is an awesome service that makes supporting your apps way simpler. I actually use it almost every day at Imagix when working with customers, and it's really great. No matter how awesome your app or service is, at some point users are going to need help. One of the really cool things about Zendesk is they provide tools beyond just a simple contact us email link. Using their mobile SDKs, you can quickly and easily integrate support channels directly into your products. That allows users to view help content and submit support tickets without having to leave your app. The tickets they submit go into Zendesk and can include information about the user's app, device info, usage history, and more. Even better, that's all included with Zendesk for no extra charge. They provide a default UI to help you get up and running quickly, or if you want, you can build out something totally customized. If you want to learn more, make sure to head over to zendesk.com slash does not compute. I think, Paul, since I've been here, it's rained more in the past two weeks than I can even remember living in California. Is that a, is that a good or a bad thing? Uh, it's good. I So people here uh, say that they need rain really bad, and that's probably fair. I'm used to California where it's like really, really, really bad with in terms of drought, but people here seemed happy that it's been raining because they said they've needed it. Yeah, I was actually just out in Massachusetts, and... I commented about how lovely and green it was, and it was amazing. And uh, the people I was I was hanging out with were like, "Oh, actually, this is pretty brown for this type of year." And I'm just looking around. I'm like, "Have you guys have you never been to California?" It's uh, it's taking a little bit to get used to. I think mainly the big thing for me is humidity and the dew point. The dew point, especially being the number to watch out for. I think last time we recorded, you asked me how I was doing, and I said that I was just sweating, <laughs> and that hasn't changed. <laughs> at all and it makes it tough because my stuff still hasn't come it's a whole thing uh it was supposed to it's supposed to come on friday i think it was and apparently the truck ended up sitting on a bridge for five hours or something because there was an accident and then now they're sw- like switching it to a different truck and then i don't know what's happening but i still don't have my stuff so are you still using your uh cardboard box desk no i bought a card table gotcha which is still a piece of crap but is working for now. It's just hard because since I'm sweating so much, that might gross some people out, but whatever. Uh, I feel like my body sticks to the table and it kind of sucks to work on for a while. And I have my MacBook with me, which is a great computer, but it makes me slouch more than I'm used to. So uh, it's just been really hard to concentrate for long periods of time. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how big of a difference a decent setup that you're really comfortable with makes in terms of being able to focus for long periods. Yeah, it really is. And I think that I've had to rely on lists more. So if if I'm able to focus, then if I have a solid list to come back to, things I'm working on or what I'm doing currently, it helps me out a lot. And I'm still kind of doing the Dropbox paper thing where I list out what I have to do every every day. It's like a fresh list every day. And that helps me. But uh, yeah, the, between the heat and um, not having my stuff, uh, it's it's been hard to focus. So beyond lists, do you have any tricks for that? A fan, just a big fan. I got a, a Vornado, which shoots like a stream of air. So I use that, which helps. Um, just frequent breaks, aside from that. I mean, if you're feeling kind of fatigued, don't try to power through it. Just get up, walk around a bit, go outside in the wind or something like that. But I think that's the biggest thing is knowing when you need to take a break and being disciplined enough to actually take the break and not 
not say to yourself, I'm just going to power through it. Because if you do end up taking a few minutes for a break, then you'll, you'll end up being more productive directly after that than you will if you try to power through it anyway. For sure. So you, you said you're doing the paper lists still, the Dropbox paper lists. Mm-hmm. It seems like you've been sticking with those for a little bit now. What do you think, what's different about that than, than other techniques you've tried? That's a good question. I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's just simple. Uh, there's not too many features that I need to try to work into my flow. I don't get distracted. Uh, so if I've used other things like things, then I'll, then I'll think that I need to set up like reoccurring to-dos and try to get fancy with it. But Dropbox paper is not fancy. It's just a list and it works for whatever reason. And recently, I don't know uh, how recently, but recently they released their iOS app. So it makes it a little bit easier as well because the web view is kind of weird in that I think when you move to a different application, it signs you out or at least that was a bug for a while for me. It would just sign me out a Dropbox paper on my phone. So having a mobile app makes it a lot easier also. Definitely. Yeah, I've also been using paper quite a bit myself. Uh, we're using it a lot at Imagix right now. We put all of our RFCs in there. Basically, whenever we have a new feature that somebody wants to work on or, or just any larger project, uh, kind of what they have to do is write up an RFC. And anybody in the company can do this. It's not limited to just engineers. It's just kind of anything that we should be thinking about as a company gets put into an RFC format where you write out, we have a basic structure, you write out what it is, what the motivations are, what some of the challenges are going to be, detailed design, all that. And man, paper is really solid for collaboration like that. Yeah, it's working pretty great. I've been using it for pretty much everything, like things I need to buy, things I want to save up for, um, my daily to-do list, just everything in general I've been using it for and it works great. It's just simple. I don't know. Maybe that's the key for me is that it's um, dumbed down enough for me to actually use it and not get distracted by uh, other shiny things. Yeah. I just hope they don't mailbox it. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully not. But so far it's been great. And if not, there's always Canvas too. I mean, um, that seems to be coming along pretty well. I think the reason I use Dropbox is because uh, we use it at Octopus a lot. So all my stuff is in one spot if I uh, keep it consistent across uh, emails. So how have you been? Uh, I haven't, I feel like we haven't been catching up as much um, on Slack recently. I know that you've been, like you said, you were just in Massachusetts for a little bit. And uh, I know that you've been keeping busy, but I don't really exactly know what's been going on. Yeah, I mean... It's kind of weird. Over the last few months, a lot of my time has been spent on more things like Dropbox paper and writing RFCs and commenting on other people's RFCs and that sort of thing. And I've still been doing, you know, a fair amount of dev work with maintaining ImageX libraries and my own side projects, that stuff. But over the last couple of weeks, I've actually been getting a lot more back into quote unquote real coding like doing actual heavy lifting on on dev projects instead of just maintenance kind of stuff. And that's been really interesting because even though I haven't not been doing development work, just kind of having that lull for a little bit where I was doing less intense stuff, I feel like I am so lost so much of the time. It's kind of amazing how out of practice I feel. Um, I I feel that way a lot, especially... Uh, with what I do now with consulting, I'm working on different projects all the time. Like one one project will be a Rails project, the next project will be a PHP project. And it feels like every time I start a project, I don't know what the heck I'm doing and I have to start from scratch. I'm like, might as well just pull the Rails docs up because I don't remember anything. <laughs> and uh, it is kind of frustrating because you know that you want to be productive and you know you have been super productive on 
on um, the stuff you've been doing in the past. It's just kind of like uh, like if you've been going to the gym for a long time and then you stop going for a period and then you start going again, you kind of get frustrated because you're not able to do all the stuff you used to. Right. Yeah. I imagine that's a that's a very similar feeling. It's just kind of amazing to me how quickly you fall out of practice with development stuff, though. And that's such a great incentive to always have something going on where you're doing dev work and and just kind of incrementally keeping that skill up to date. So do you find that you feel more, I guess, I mean, if I'm, if I'm looking at it, there's kind of like, as a programmer, there's two different um, ways to look at something. It's like, I, if, I feel if I... Or it's kind of like looking at like if I feel like I'm out of practice with Ruby versus if I'm out of practice with Rails. Or on the JavaScript side, if I haven't used Vue for a while, I might feel like I'm a little bit slow with some of the newer updates to the library or something like that. But I might not feel slow with JavaScript. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it's for me, it's not like I haven't forgotten the programming idioms of, of Ruby. I haven't forgotten the idioms of Ruby or JavaScript. But when I go in and I'm trying to do a specific thing in Rails or in Vue... I'm having a lot of trouble remembering exactly how things fit together in those environments. And once I look at the docs a little bit, it always clicks back into place, but it's it's a weird it's a weird feeling to have these tools that I've used for quite a while now and just kind of not really remember how they fit together. Right. And I'm glad you kind of phrased it like that because for me I don't really feel slow with Ruby or JavaScript. It's more that I don't exactly remember all the ins and outs of whatever tools I've been using for each language. And what makes it even more difficult, especially in the JavaScript world, is that tooling moves so quickly and updates so quickly. Uh, I went back and did some maintenance on an app I worked on a while back, and it was Vue version like 1.016. And the current version is like 1.026 or something. So I had to go through and read the change log to make sure you know everything was cool for me to just update straight up like that. But... At least it's a little little uh, encouraging to me that I'm not struggling with JavaScript. It's it's more like different tools that I'm using that I, I feel a little bit slow with. Yeah, so I think that's something that I'm going to try to focus on going forward is when I have periods where I'm doing less intense kind of dev work for my job and on side projects that I'm actually going to try to take some time and devote that to building out things that challenge and stretch my brain and make sure that I'm staying up to date with these tools that I really like because it's a weird, bad feeling, Sean. Yeah, it kind of, for me, it used to at least trigger a little bit of imposter syndrome. Like I felt like I wasn't a very good developer because I couldn't remember stuff. Uh, But then I had to step back and think to myself, well, I just worked on, you know, six marketing sites and it's been six months before since I even touched Rails. Uh, And so I just kind of had to swap that, that thought down to kind of like control that thought, like not allow it to take take place in what I was thinking about, which is not, it's not hard. It takes a lot of practice to be able to do that. But I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, I, I look up to you as the developer and if you're feeling that way, it kind of allows me to identif- identify with that as well. And I know that other people feel the same way. Uh, so for me, it's encouraging to to hear that and, you know, just, just mention to you like those feelings, if you feel that imposter syndrome crap, just take control of that thought and uh, strangle it out before it before it kind of settles up there in the old noggin. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, like you said, that that's kind of the important thing to focus on is that it's not that I've become a worse programmer. It's just that I've been exercising different muscle groups to go back to your gym metaphor. I've just been focusing on, on different things. And now I'm kind of focusing on uh, it's time for leg day again. <laughs> leg day, the biggest muscle, biggest muscles in the body. Um, 
So one thing that I've been focusing on recently, trying to work on anyway, and we keep talking about me being remote now. I mean, obviously that's a big thing. But with that, one thing I've been focusing on is is how I approach communication and how I approach um, letting my project managers know kind of what I'm up to and and what I'm going to work on next. And I think before I ended up going remote, that was the one thing that I said I might have a concern about. And I know that talking to James, that was his one concern with me going remote is just kind of keeping communication going through the dev team and um, through the dev team to project managers. But yeah, so that's that's one thing I've been focusing on. And I'm trying to isolate things that I know that make the project managers feel uh, feel comfortable. And I'm trying to isolate things that I know might be easier for me to do, but kind of isolate me from the rest of the team and, and work on stuff like that. Yeah, communication is, I think, definitely kind of the make or break thing for remote teams. If you don't have good communication, there's no way remote can ever work. Yeah, it's it's pretty much the issue. Like for me, culture culture stuff isn't you know a big worry. Um, being feeling like I'm involved with the team isn't a big worry. It's more like I'm more worried about making them feel like they know what I'm up to, and I'm not just kind of chilling in Vermont, uh, relaxing. You know, um, so there's a few things that I've been wanting to institute. You know, for a dev team at least that I know would make other people feel comfortable. And I know as a developer, a lot of my tendencies lean towards you know, well, they can, they can deal with it. You know, I need to do what makes me productive, but that's not a healthy way to think about it. So I've been trying to think of things that provide them with a better quality of life, so to speak, with me being gone. And one thing I've been doing in Slack actually uh, is using their post feature. I don't know if, if, if many people have noticed that's there, but if you click on the plus button next to the message box, you can create like a snippet or a post. And at the end of the day, Usually for each project, we have a different channel and I'll just post like a quick devlog in each channel. And right now it's just one, so it doesn't take a lot of my time. But at the end of the day, I'll just make a new post and I'll just write, here's something new, here's something new, this is what I updated, this thing changed. Kind of like a quick change log that you might see from the app store or something. And I've gotten really good feedback from that. So, you know, aside from the project managers, even the designers on the project can follow along with what's going on. If they're helping me, you know, QA test or something like that, they're able to follow along with what's happening in the dev process. And I mean, honestly, for me, that's kind of a minimal effort. It's just something I do at the end of the day, but it seems to have a huge impact on the rest of the team. That's really interesting. I knew about uh, snippets in Slack, but I actually hadn't seen posts before. I just took a brief look at that, and uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's like a little baby Dropbox yeah. paper. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I, I think what I like about that is kind of writing out something in a slightly more formal way at the end of the day, that's not just going to be helpful for the other members of your team. That's also going to help you kind of recap in your own mind what you got done, how productive you were that day, how you feel about that. And it's going to give you something the next day that you can even go back and look at to kind of remind you where you're, where you're at. Yeah, it, that's exactly it. It's kind of like a when I was younger uh, and I'm learning how to play guitar, one of the best pieces of advice given to me was keep a practice journal because you're going to feel frustrated eventually and it's going to be good to be able to go back and look at the journal and see the progress you've been making. Um, and in terms of working on a project, it's it's no different. So you might get frustrated with where you're at in a project and to be able to go back and look at the devlog or the history and see how kind of how far the project has come, it feels really good and just kind of changes how you're thinking about it. But you know, from the rest of the team, they're able to look at it and and see, I guess, a history of what's happening and what I'm doing, and it makes me feel good knowing that they feel in it, they feel uh, 
comfortable with me being gone, if that makes sense. And and like I said, my initial thought was, well, you know, they can just look at my Git commit history or they can go into GitLab and check out what I'm doing, but that doesn't necessarily communicate the same thing, I suppose. So that's one thing I'm going to try and keep doing. I don't know if I'll keep it in the posts or if I'll make something um, that is more of like a central location for all the different projects I'm working on. And that way, if James has a question or is wondering what I've been up to, he can actually just see that. But I don't know. It's 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 kind of crazy how little effort it takes me and how much of an impact it has. Like I, I keep saying that, but I mean, everyone, all like all the developers keep talking about how you want to do the, the least amount of work for the biggest payoff, right? Well, that's that's something you can do that'll have a huge payoff for your team. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So, I mean, that, that handles communication from you back to the rest of the team. But how have you been dealing with getting updates from people who are still at the central office? Um, so one thing that I do in terms of looking in on developers, I'll just go to the activity feed in GitLab. I've been using GitLab a whole bunch more since I've been remote, like so much more because I can look at the activity and see what's being pushed up and what's being changed. And I can also see comments on issues. And we do a lot of our project management actually in GitLab after it goes to the dev phase. We'll have, um, clients come in as reporter statuses. And that way they can come in and they can file new issues and comment on stuff. Um, and actually with, a, I don't remember what version they released it as, but uh, in a newer version of GitLab, you can actually do confidential issues. So you can create issues that are hidden from reporter level members in that repo. That's awesome. Yeah, which is really useful, right? So you can file issues that, you know, clients don't necessarily need to know about. <laughs> um, but anyway, like I can see, you know, how client communication is going back and forth, how that's going. I can see commits going. I can see issues being closed and all that. And if there's something more kind of like project management oriented that I need to know about, I'll actually ping in the dev team and I'll just do like at here, you know, what's going on? What are you guys up to next, etc. And it just kind of takes me a little bit more effort to, you know, be forward about that. Um, but that's, that's been kind of been working for me is just kind of like being forward and saying, Hey, what's going on? Uh, what's going on next? Have you thought about doing this? Um, but it, it's been working pretty okay. The other thing that I noticed and this, this will probably blow your mind, Paul, cause you know how I am. Um, but I turned on all notifications for my work slack. So I get pinged a whole bunch and I see lots of pop-ups and at first it really bothered me, but now I've gotten used to it. And I feel much more informed with what's going on uh, from a company standpoint, not necessarily from like a developer commit standpoint. Interesting. So was there a specific motivation for that or is it just something that you wanted to give a try to see if it helped you? I just wanted to try it out. Uh, So I'm part of the Tachyon Slack and I was talking to Adam Morse about, I was just asking him questions about his Vim setup and... um, he mentioned that he had turned syntax highlighting off and I asked him why. And he said, just to see if I would notice it. And I had been thinking about that a little bit throughout the week. And so, yeah, <laughs> I thought to myself, I'm just going to turn notifications on and see if it, see if I notice it. And, uh, at first it bothered the crap out of me, but now I think, I feel like I'm much better at quick glancing and, and not getting super distracted and clicking into Slack a bunch, but I do feel more informed kind of in a broad sense about what's going on at work. Yeah, I mean, that that makes a lot of sense for sure. Um, I definitely leave notifications on in certain slacks at certain times, just like if I am away, but I want to make sure that I'm staying up to date with things or that sort of that sort of stuff. It can be helpful. It can also be horribly, horribly distracting. It can. It can definitely be horribly distracting. And I find that if I end up getting pulled away from what I'm doing, then I just option click on the notification center icon in the top right. Pro tip, 
option click on that will turn on uh, do not disturb mode. And so I'll just pop that on for an hour or an hour and a half or something. Um, so whenever I go to take my next break, I'll turn it off and then I'll catch up. But I used to look for all these little tools to manage this stuff. Like I know that I've talked about the Hey Focus app and that's a great app. Um, a lot of people use it. A lot of people get a lot of benefit out of it. But again, kind of like with the to-do situation, paper works because it's simple. And so I found that instead of using Hey Focus and turning on a timer for an hour, if I'm feeling productive, I'll just pop on Do Not Disturb for an hour instead. And I don't have to think about turning on an application. I don't have to think about how long I want to focus for. I don't have to think about anything else. I just click a button and continue on my way. Yeah, I find that being a very common pattern with me as well. As I get older or more experienced, I don't know which one it is or maybe both. But the the longer I do this stuff, the more I'm looking for tools that are just very, very simple. Just like as close to one button as I can get for any given problem. And that that's the case for communication tools and as well as actual dev stuff. Like when I'm looking for libraries, that's one of the things I really love about Vue is that it is just what I need and nothing more. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely feeling that even down to like my build tools. I'll start a project and think like, oh, brunch is so sick. Gulp is pretty cool. And then I'll just start typing into the scripts object. <laughs> In fact, it's at JSON instead, you know. Uh, maybe some of the other stuff is more powerful. That's that's fine. But you know, for the most case, what I need is I need Webpack to compile some stuff, or I need Browserify to compile some stuff, or whatever. You know, Babel, whatever. Um, and what I need is something simple. So I'll just do that instead. Yeah, basically every single project I've started within the last I don't know six months or so has just been npm scripts. That's the whole build process. Yeah, I mean, I get, I get like brunch is really cool. Just the ability to include a whole bunch of stuff just by typing into one config file and having it do a bunch of things out of the box for you. But I, maybe you know, I, I might find myself using stuff like that if the project is going to be more of a long term project. But for most quick builds, I don't even worry about it anymore. And honestly, for for most builds, I'll think to myself, I want library load. I'll just you know npm install dash g browser sync. And just start that from the command line instead. It's just as fast, you know, you get the same results, you know. So it's just kind of, I guess, less um, overhead, right? You're just adding less overhead to your projects. Uh, and so I've been I've been all about that lately. Well, I think part of part of it for me, what's really nice about going super simple is that it's just less to remember. And when I am jumping around between a bunch of different projects and a bunch of different types of projects, it's just way nicer for me to have to remember a couple CLI commands instead of having to remember the, all the documentation for, for grunt or gulp or brunch or insert build library here. Yeah, totally. And a lot of the times you can just toss an alias into your shell file for those CLI commands instead of having to maybe have a separate repo with snippets or different setups you can clone down. It's so much easier just to type a command if it's in an alias, you know, like two letters and your thing is running. Right. And just having everything for all my projects be NPM run build is pretty amazing. So I'm wondering what you're going to say in response to this, but um, it's been three, the last three projects I worked on, aside from Knight, um, I haven't even used SAS. Um, I've experimented that with, in a couple projects as well. It seems okay. I think the reason I get away with it is because I'm using tachyons or base CSS or something like that where, you know, I'm not writing a whole bunch of CSS myself. And I think it makes it easier for me to get away with that. And then what I end up doing is having like a helper's CSS file that I end up including. If I need to write custom CSS, I'll put it there. But I just was thinking to myself, you know, I'm trying to slim stuff down and I haven't 
like actually use SaaS features besides nesting in a while. Really, nesting was the only thing, the only reason why I kept using it, honestly. So I figured, you know, why not try it without it? And I haven't haven't been missing it that much. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's definitely a valid workflow. It's not one that I'm fully accustomed to yet. Um, I'm still using SaaS in most stuff, but I think depending on the size of the project and the complexity and kind of just how you're approaching the CSS, there's no reason not to try it. Yeah, I mean what's the worst that can happen? Oh, I'm going to use SAS on the next one. You know, it's not the end of the world. That's that's the thing I've been thinking about a lot too, is that there's so much urgency. A lot of people put so much urgency on the tools you use and stuff, but it's really, it's really not, I guess. I don't know. I guess it's different if you're, if you're in a startup and it's like make or break, I guess. But even then, the tools really aren't that urgent. You know, you can be productive with whatever you use. It's more of like, how does your app work? Are people able to use your app? Is it is it clear and consistent? Is it usable? You know, it doesn't like, you don't point to a technology and be like, that's the reason that startup failed. Yeah, that's, that's pretty rare unless they make some very, very bad decisions and then continue making those bad decisions. Um, a, a lot of times, what's interesting to me is that a simple tool is generally simpler to replace than a complex tool as well. So if you start off simple, generally speaking, you're going to have an easier time adding more complexity later on than you would if you started complex and then wanted to simplify later. So I think that that's a, that's a pretty great argument for, for starting simple as well. Yeah, I can agree with that. I can agree with that for sure. As I am getting older, um, I've just been trying to lighten up more. You know, <laughs> it's, it's not life. What I'm doing for work isn't life and death. What I'm doing for work is something I enjoy and has potential to make some people a lot of money, but it's not life and death. We're all just uh, just hitting some keyboards, making some stuff show up on a screen. We're all just playing incremental games in other tabs while we work. <laughs> you know, that's true. Thanks again to today's sponsor, Zendesk. Zendesk makes support way easier and better. One of the ways they do that is with their awesome mobile SDKs. They let you bring native in-app support to your apps in a jiffy. You can get up and running with their standard UI or build out something fully customized. Either way, it provides a great experience for users to view your help documentation and submit support tickets. Check out Zendesk today by visiting zendesk.com slash does not compute. stuff is in one spotify <laughs> <Did I say? laughs> um oh spotify